Uh, some of you have done exams maybe years and years ago. Some of you uh, are in the process of preparing for GCSEs or things beyond that, whatever it might be. Um, but the broadcaster, David Cook, tells a story about a student who was away at university who basically was in a little bit of trouble with his exams. And so writing home in June, and Ju- in June time, he said, Dear Mum and Dad, sorry you haven't heard from me uh, for in recent months. The fact is, in the last few weeks, uh, there was a fire in my flat. I lost all my possessions. Uh, in fact, I only escaped by jumping out of a second-floor window, and in the process, I broke my leg. And I finished up in hospital. Well, fortunately, I met the most wonderful nurse there. Uh, It was love at first sight. And to cut a long story short, last Saturday, we got married. My friends say it's all a little bit hasty. Maybe we do have slightly different backgrounds. But but I'm sure love will win through in the end. And then, new paragraph. In case you're getting worried, let me put your fears at rest. Everything I've written in this letter so far is false. False. None of it ever happened. What did happen is that two weeks ago, I failed my final exams. And I just wanted you to get things in a proper perspective. (laughs) Well, if by any chance you could do with a copy of a letter like that in the future, just uh, see me afterwards. Well, it's a fun way to to start a a sermon, start a talk. But let me uh, ask you uh, this question. What would you do if, uh, if, if you or one of your friends experienced some sort of failure in life what if for you life began to unravel in some way that you just hadn't expected I don't know what that could be could be you discover you've got a heart condition you never knew you had could be you discover that uh, your parents are divorcing and you never expected a thing could be the good friend dies in a car accident could be you get fired from your job well what then Well, we live in a culture, don't we, where we aspire to strength and independence. We live in a culture where we want to say everything's under control. Strength is good in our culture and weakness is always bad. No politician will ever tell you they made a mistake. All of the the football team managers, as we come to the end of the premiership season, are going to talk about the positives whether they've been relegated, promoted, stayed in the middle, whatever else, there's always a a positive, even if you lost 6-0. And you're not even allowed to sweat on TV. Not even a hint of weakness. No matter what's going on in life, we have to try really, really hard to say, I've got it under control. This is what Tracy M. in that outspoken artist once said. She said, I am not your average woman. And I'm not going to live your average woman's lifestyle. I set up the rules for me. I set up the perimeters. I have nobody telling me what to do. You see, we just follow that kind of attitude in life, don't we? That strength is what matters. Self-sufficiency is our goal. And we don't like the thought that that could ever be taken away from us by anyone or anything or any circumstance. And of course, for us as Christians, we've already sung that we know that that isn't true. We know, if we're Christians here this morning, that our lives depend upon, our very next breath depends upon the God who has made us. We know we were never meant to be self-sufficient. Self-sufficiency, you see, is at the heart of the very first sin of the Bible. 
when Adam and Eve decided actually for life to work its best if we go it alone. And we can make up the rules for our life. Like Tracy M and Adam and Eve said, I don't need anybody to tell me what to do. Self-sufficiency is at the heart of the first sin and at the heart of every sin. So is it a good thing to think that we're strong? Jim Packer uh, is now in his, in his 80s. He lived in Birmingham in, back in the 1950s. He was a curate at St. John's in Harborne. He got married there as well. But he's now best known, I think, as a, as a theologian, as an author of lots of books, and he's written a book on weakness. And he says this, God doesn't allow us to stay with the idea that we are strong. We may have that idea, but the Lord is going to disabuse us one way or another, and it will be good for us. And it will give him glory when he does so. Maybe you're here today and you're, you're not a Christian or you're just not sure what you think of Christianity. Uh, it's easy to think, isn't it, that the world is divided into two types of people, the weak and the strong. What Jim Packer is hinting at and what the Bible says, as we'll see in just a moment, is no, the world is not divided into two types of people, the weak and the strong. The world is divided into two types of people, those who know they are weak and those who don't. Sure, no, I'm not saying we don't have strengths, but the biggest mistake we can make in life, whether we're just thinking about place of God in our lives or whether we're committed Christians the biggest mistake we can make in our lives is to think that we've got the strength to make life work on our own finally some way sooner or later your strength will give way your body will wear out your talents will diminish your abilities will wane and in the end unless the Lord Jesus Christ comes first Death proves stronger in one sense than us all. Robbie Williams once sang, You think that I'm strong? And the next line was, You're wrong. You're wrong. Sooner or later, we have to face up to weakness. And I guess it could be physical weakness, mental weakness, spiritual weakness. And the reason it's good for us to know we are weak is because what we'll see is that it's when we're weak we discover where true strength is to be found. And it's not in us, it's in the God who loves us. The Christian life begins that way, doesn't it? If you're not sure what a Christian is, well, let me just explain to you. The start of the Christian life is to say, I need God to forgive my sins. And I need God to come into my life. And I need the forgiveness that Jesus has secured through his death. And so the Christian community, we start from a place of weakness. We don't believe we're in control of our eternal destiny. We don't believe we could ever get to heaven on our own. The gospel celebrates the fact that I need Jesus to die for me and my sins. And he was crucified for us. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 says he was crucified in weakness yet he lives now resurrected from the dead by God's power so as we look at the this theme this morning I want to recognize put my hand up and say along with you no one chooses weakness no one wants that to be the way life will work no one chooses it 
And yet what we need to learn together this morning is that weakness is not just the way into the Christian life by knowing I need a Savior, Jesus. Not just the way in, but weakness is the way on in the Christian life as well. We're going to learn, as we read from 2 Corinthians chapter 12 in a moment, what Paul meant when he said this shocking statement. He said, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness. Wow, that's, a, that's a, quite a scary statement, isn't it? To delight in weakness. Why would anyone ever say that? Well, I'm going to read some verses from uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. If you've got a Bible and you want to turn up there with me, then please feel free to. And this is a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church in a place called Corinth, which is in Greece today. And this is the second letter that he wrote to them. And some of the verses you might know, or some of the ideas in it you certainly might know, because in the, my Bible it, there's a little heading above it which says, Paul's vision and his thorns. This is going to be about a thorn in his flesh. So chapter 12, verse 1, I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man, verse 2, in Christ, who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven, Whether it's in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. But God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I'd be speaking the truth, but I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul concludes, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For, here's the conclusion, when I am weak, then I am strong. I want to start just by saying, if weakness comes into your life in a way you never expected or planned for or even hoped for, it's really important that we learn from this passage that we mustn't think that weakness is a means by which God punishes his children. That, that God has somehow got it in for you because you've done something wrong. Because what Paul says in this passage is his weakness was a manifestation of God's love for him God allowed to go th- him to go through something he didn't want to go through as an expression of God's love when some kind of suffering comes an illness a trial a tragedy the natural temptation to think is God a loving God would never let this happen to me if God loves me this this can't be from him but Paul wants us to grasp that he delights in weaknesses not because they're enjoyable or pleasant but because weaknesses do us spiritual good. God grows us through our suffering. 
We learn lessons perhaps we would never learn any other way. We're kind of forced to learn things. That's what Paul's saying in this passage. He, he, he said to the Lord, take it away. And the Lord said, no, I'm teaching you through it. So here's the first point this morning. Weakness comes as a gift from a God who loves us. Weakness comes as a gift from a God who loves us. Here's the key phrase from Paul, verse 7. There was given me. He's talking about this thorn in his flesh. There was given me. It's a phrase that Paul and the Bible generally only ever uses to describe God's blessing and favor. There was given me. In other words, it's the language of a gift. So, so we could translate this, there was gifted to me. Okay, and some translations have that sense stronger than, than the NIV. Although God isn't named, he's implied. Theologians describe these, these words as what are called divine passives. It's assumed that we know it's from God. God stands behind the action. And we can be absolutely sure that it's God who's given him this thorn in his flesh. Because Paul knows it was given him to bless. There was, there was a good reason for it. And he said, it was given to me to stop me from becoming proud he knew there was a a good God behind this action he knew he was loved by God and he was utterly convinced because he knew that Jesus through his life death and resurrection had opened the door to heaven for him and he'd been taken up into that heaven itself to see these extraordinary visions of God that he describes having experienced 14 years earlier and he said the same God who gave the visions then gave the thorn to stop him becoming proud. I don't know whether you've ever been given a VIP ticket into somewhere as, as something as a perk, a ticket that says access all areas on the badge. And you think to yourself, I'm, I'm really not sure I should be in here. Uh, everyone else is a VIP. What am I doing here? And, and, and the truth is, you, you're only there because someone has got you in. Well, our place in heaven is a gift. Our part is, is to receive that gift. And Paul knew it. He knew that heaven had been opened to him and he knew it because God gave him an extraordinary privilege. He says, I don't know whether I was in the body or out of the body. I'm not quite sure what was going on. But 14 years ago, God took me into the throne room of heaven itself. Verse 4, caught up into paradise, taken up into the very presence of God, inexpressible things. But the same God who gave the vision then said, and what you need next is a thorn. The thorn not to punish, the thorn was given to protect him. To protect him from himself. That's why he he can call it a gift. He says, there was given me this thorn to stop something spiritually bad from happening to me. And to actually bless me instead. Christians, let's say you lose your job. Or you get diagnosed with an incurable disease. Or you experience the rejection of your family because of your faith. Well, if you do, don't let your circumstance dictate your theology. Don't say, oh, because this has happened, it must be that God doesn't love me. We don't look at our situation to determine what God thinks of us. We look to Jesus to determine what God thinks of us. Jesus loves us to bits, and we know it because of the cross. And only if you're utterly convinced that God is for you and not against you, that he loves you in Jesus might you be prepared to expect and to accept suffering as a gift? Because you know God is for you in it. 
See, secondly, because God loves you, he will allow you to experience weakness. That's what Packer said, was it? wasn't it? He said, it's inevitable. It will come one way or another, sooner or later. Verse 7, to keep me from becoming conceited, there was given me a thorn in my flesh. You and I were meant to live our lives dependent on God. And the problem is when we start to feel strong, God takes a back seat in our lives, doesn't he, sometimes? And we get on with prowling, prioritizing. We become self-reliant. And that's spiritually so dangerous and yet so easy. We all know how easy it is for us to go a day or two days or a week and not to give God the time of day because we're busy, quotes, getting on with our lives. So because God loved Paul, God allowed him to experience this weakness. There was given me, there was gifted me a thorn in my flesh. We don't know what it was. Paul doesn't choose to tell us. Maybe he doesn't tell us because he's making a general point and he wants us to allow he wants us to think of the different ways in which we might experience that thorn. Some say the most likely thing is is an eye problem because Paul was known to have an eye condition that led him to, to temporary blindness on more than one occasion. Some think it could have been depression. Some wonder if it was trouble that was being caused by persecutors of the church. Whatever it was, Paul prayed exactly what you and I would pray. What did he pray? He said, Lord, take it away. Take it away. Take it away, please. That's what he prayed. It's possible that some of us have never experienced experienced since anything in our lives that has made us cry out to God, take it away, in the way that Paul did. This threefold repetition is just a way of saying he was constantly praying, Take it away. But maybe you are there right now, today. Maybe you're praying every day, Lord, please take this away. Take this away. Take this away. The thing you most want God to take away from your life is probably how you should think about this thorn or this weakness. Maybe it is that boss at work. Maybe it is that broken relationship with a member of your family that you've got to try and pretend everything's okay. Maybe it's physical pain. I don't know what it is. The thing you most want God to take away is where you're experiencing weakness right now. And look, for Paul, it was a severe trial. The very thing that that God had gifted to him was also at one and the same time an opportunity for Satan. God allowed Satan to attack Paul, to bedevil him. Paul says, doesn't he, in these verses, that he was tormented by this messenger of Satan. Exactly the same word, this word tormented is exactly the same word that's used to describe what the Roman soldiers did to Jesus. Tormented Jesus when they mocked him and spat him and beat him. It's exactly the same word. And God allowed Jesus to be tormented by them because he was crucified with weakness And now Paul is saying, as incredible as this may seem, and as difficult as this might be for us as Christians, the same God who gifts us suffering, as a part of that gift, is allowing Satan to challenge our very Christian lives and to torment us. Satan sees an opportunity and wants to take it. But God is bigger, and God has another purpose through the same suffering. 
Satan's trying to do one thing, but God says, I am sovereign, I am in control, and I have a bigger, better, which is to transform you through that suffering. Paul prayed three times, take it away, and Jesus prayed three times in Gethsemane. What did Jesus pray? Take it away. Jesus said, if there be any other way than the cross, please, Lord, take this away. Might I not have to go through this? And they both received the same answer, didn't they? That answer was weakness is the way. That was the answer God gave to Jesus. Weakness is the way to save the world. And the answer that God gave to Paul is weakness is my way to transform you. God didn't answer Paul in the way Paul wanted. God answered Paul in the way God knew was best. So when God allows you to experience a trial or a suffering, please don't think he's absent from you. He's gone somewhere and left you. No, he'd not abandoned Jesus in Gethsemane and he'd not abandoned Paul here. He said, no, there is a better way. And that way is weakness. Please don't think that God doesn't care when you're suffering. Because Paul discovered God's purpose in weakness. You see, the third point is we're perfected in our weakness because that's when we find Christ to be our strength. Only in weakness do we know how much God is for us and how strong and mighty God is to save us. What kind of strength is discovered in weakness. It's a strength that is outside of ourselves. Yeah? That's the kind of strength you discover in weakness. It's a strength that's not your own. It's the strength of someone coming in. And three lessons to learn in the reply that Jesus gives to Paul is this. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. Do you see that in verse 9? He said to me, Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. What Paul wanted was relief from the thorn. And he simply assumed that what God would do was therefore would be to take it away. But what answer he got was this, was not to take it away, but to give sufficient grace to endure it. Don Carson has said, uh, the end that Paul wanted was relief from his thorn. And he simply assumed that the means would be the thorn's removal. But God granted the ends by another means. He gave relief from the thorn, not by removing it, but by adding more grace, sufficient grace. God knows what he's doing when he answers your prayer, when you say, take it away, and he says, no, I'll give more grace. Robert Murray McShane said, God will either give you what you ask when you pray, or something far better. Those are the only two options. Those are the only two things God ever does with a prayer of faith. He either gives you what you ask or will give you something better. And Paul discovered that in this instance, what God was giving him was something better. Because Paul said, take it away. And God said, no, I'll give you more grace instead. Because then you'll learn, not only is my grace sufficient for you, verse 9, but you'll know that my power in your life is made perfect when you are weak. See, power is not only present in weakness, but power is perfected in weakness. Our weakness is the place where we experience God's grace most fully. 
and most powerfully and most perfectly. The very thing that makes Paul look so weak is the very place where God is seen to be so strong. Abraham Lincoln once said, I have been driven many times to my knees by the overwhelming conviction that I had absolutely no other place to go. And that's what you experience in weakness. You run out of resources. There's no one else who can help you. And God alone must be your strength. When you've nowhere else to go is when you really know what a mighty saviour you have and what a loving father you had. Christ's power is experienced when Paul discovers Christ's power to endure the Christian life. And many testimonies in this room are of, I know that to be true. It's when I have had nowhere else to go that I've known Christ's grace and his power sufficient for me. There'll be many stories in this room to testify to that truth, I'm sure. So Paul says at the end of it all, Christians boast about weakness. The world says boast about self-sufficiency and strength. Paul says, I will boast in weakness because that gives God most glory. Verse 10, that is why for Christ's sake I delight in weakness. There's that verse that we couldn't make any sense of. Why would anyone delight in weakness? Because when I'm weak, Christ is most glorified. Think about what Paul could have boasted in. Think about those verses earlier in the chapter. Think of the book that Paul could have written. The man who was taken up to heaven. The man who got to go to paradise and the throne room of God. Think of the, think of the preaching tour that would have taken him across the world. Yeah? With that story. But he says, I won't boast about that. And, and he doesn't even describe it as something as having happened to him. He speaks of it in the third person. So, so much does he not want to draw attention to it. He says, oh, I know a man who these things happen to. But actually later in the chapter, he tells us, oh, that man was me because the same man who had the vision was given the thorn. So he said, but I won't even describe it as it being my experience. What I'll really focus on is my experience of suffering. Because that's where power is truly seen, not in having been taken up into heaven, but in knowing Christ's grace sufficient for me. What most glorifies God in your life? What could you talk to your friends of that you think will, will make them think great thoughts of Jesus? It might surprise you that it's to your weakness. It might be somewhere you're not expecting to talk to them about but it might just be that that's where you need to go because that's what Paul says. I will boast of weakness. I will delight in weakness. Maybe that's where your story could focus. Well, just as I finish, how can we be sure that weakness is the way? How can we really know that God is working through weakness? Well, it will be through stories in this room as you meet other Christians who say, yep, I know that's true. I've been there. I can tell you about it. But the real reason that we can be absolutely sure was because Jesus was perfected in weakness too. He learned the same lesson as a man. Look, do you think of Jesus as a weak person? I guess most of us, when we think about Jesus, think of him as a guy from another planet, a different world. Do you think of Jesus as Superman? 
Do you think of him as being made of something entirely different from you? Let me ask you this. Do you think if someone had pointed and fired a gun at Jesus, the bullet would have bounced off? Do you think that? Well, you've got a wrong view of Jesus. Because Jesus was as human as you and as me. Bullets would not have bounced off Jesus. He was not untouchable. He was not immune from the trials of everyday life. Yes, he was fully God, but he was fully man too. Don't ask me to explain it. That's Jonathan's job for another time. (laughs) But he was as much a human being as you and me. And that is massively important for us in this question of suffering. Because when the writer to the Hebrews says Jesus was made like us in every way, that means the weaknesses in life that you experience, he can say, yep, I know exactly what you mean. And that's why I know what grace to give you. Because I've been there too. Some people in the early church couldn't quite get their heads around this and they thought that maybe Jesus just looked human you know Clark Kent as he's walking along walking along the street just looks like a human being but you know he's Superman underneath God in disguise but that's not Jesus in the Bible Jesus in the Bible is God but he's not in disguise he's actually truly in human form as fully human as you or as me and that's why looking to him and going to him in our weakness is so important. In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 2, we read that Jesus was subject to weakness. What it means is that he had to learn to walk as we walk. He had to learn to trust his Father with his weakness. And we're told that he even learned obedience. Hebrews 5 verse 8. Now please don't think that this means that Jesus sometimes sinned. doesn't mean that. But what it meant was that even though he was always sinless, he had to learn to trust God in this situation. And then he had to learn to trust God in this situation and that situation and through that trial. And he had to endure in this situation. Could he trust God here? Could he trust God there? Could he trust God even in Gethsemane? Could he be obedient even to death? And we are told in Hebrews 5 verse 7 that Jesus learned that lesson by prayers, petitions, with loud cries and tears. So if your experience of battling to trust God with weakness is of prayers, petitions, loud cries and tears, guess who you're like? You're being like Jesus. And then verse 9, once made perfect, in other words, once he'd been tested at every level, in the face of every suffering, Hebrews chapter 5 verse 9, once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Doesn't that change everything? Next time you think, God, what do you know about my life? or my suffering, or my circumstances. There you are, millions of miles away, sitting up in your throne in heaven. You make up the rules, and you've got no idea what on earth is going on down here. Then remember Hebrews chapter 5, verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. He knows what you're going through. 
He knows every trial and circumstance. In fact, Jesus was the most tempted person that has ever walked this planet. The hardest lesson of the Christian life is to learn to depend entirely on God. And yet Jesus learned it, and his grace can help you to learn it too. So in our world where people are pretending that God doesn't even exist, and in our world where people are telling you rely on your own strength and your own resources, you are the master of your own fate, you need to know self-reliance is a hopeless thing. Because your strength will eventually give way. No one can stay at the top of their game forever. And in a world in which God exists and in a world in which God is Jesus, self-reliance gives way to God-dependence. Let's pray.